You're listening to episode 87 of the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast with Larry Owings. One of the comments I remember Dan Gable saying was that he he felt in the third round oddly more tired than he'd ever felt before. And uh, yeah. <clears throat> I, I think yeah. that was because I, I had pushed him further than anybody else had ever pushed him. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gents, welcome back to another episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Hope you all had a great Christmas and are gearing up for a new year. I have two episodes dropping this week, and this is the first of those two. It's episode 87 with Larry Owings. The Gable Slayer, as some might say, three-time NCAA Finals, one-time champ. Everyone knows Larry for when he beat Gable in the 1970 Nationals as a sophomore, one of the most historic upsets in wrestling history. A couple caveats with this one, folks. This was recorded back in July when I was doing the interviews for Gable the Goat Part 1. And keep in mind that back in July, the audio quality wasn't the best, and so since then we've significantly upgraded all of the equipment we use to record the uh, podcast, and they're much better now, but just keep that in mind that this was recorded back in July. Nonetheless, it's an outstanding conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Fan of the Week goes to Lance Hag. Lance is the brother of Colin Hag, who's a longtime listener and also a fan of the Natty Light, per his Instagram. We can't fault him there. Lance, thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate it. Last but not least, this episode is brought to you by the Wrestling Changed My Life store. You can go to store.wrestlingchangemylife.com. Check out all of our gear there. My favorite crew neck at the time, and you guys know I'm a sucker for a crew neck, is the Pro Crew Neck. It's maroon, gold, and black. If you go to the crew neck section, you'll be able to check it out. It's Again, it's the Pro Crew Neck. I just got it in last night. I really like it. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Larry, the pride of Washington, Owings. Let's talk some wrestling. <laughs> all right. Well, Really excited to be chatting with you, and I think, yeah, let's just let's just take it from the uh, take it from the top, kind of. How did you get involved with with wrestling, and you know, what was your journey into the sport? <laughs> well, um, I have four older brothers that uh, were all state champion wrestlers, and uh, so it was kind of expected that I uh, wrestle too. Wow! So. No, uh, no shortcomings of talent in this family. Did you take to wrestling right away, or did you have uh, some struggles early on? I mean, what was your experience like? Well, well 
Uh, yes and no. Um, to make a long story short, you know, when I was, was younger, I was kind of fat and, uh, they made fun of me and, and nicknamed me Porky and, uh, you know, uh, more or less abused me <laughs> Yeah, a lot, you know, I was teased a lot when I was younger. And, uh, luckily, uh, when I got in the seventh and eighth grade, I, I went to work for an old Norwegian dairy farmer and, uh, hauled hay all summer long. And he ran the fat off of me and uh, put on some muscle. And by the time I got into high school, uh, which was, I started wrestling as a, as a freshman in high school, uh, you know, I was, not too bad, you know, still, still a little overweight, but I had some strength and stuff like that. So I started wrestling and I did really well, uh, freshman and uh, JV matches, won them all. Uh, and I kept challenging, uh, the varsity guy so I could wrestle varsity. And I finally did beat the guy and, uh, I got the chance to wrestle varsity. And my first varsity match was against a kid, uh, from Silverton high school who was returning uh, third place in state the year before. And needless to say, he uh, cleaned up the mat with me and pinned me in the second round. And <laughs> at that point, I was devastated. And uh, I wrestled uh, five varsity matches that year, and uh, I lost every one. And the last match was, was particularly bad. Uh, my My coach came up to me afterwards and, he said, what's wrong with Larry? He says, uh, you're a better wrestler than that. Why did, why did you lose that match? He says, are, are you sick or something? And, you know, I kind of went home and thought about that. And uh, I went to uh, the district tournament then. We took two guys in each weight class. And I went to the district tournament. And I actually went out and wrestled a guy and and did a couple moves and my coach said well that was a lot better you know and then we had uh later on that year they had the state greco-roman tournament i don't know if you are familiar yeah. with those but statewide oh, yeah. Yeah. tournament and i entered this uh state wrestling greco-roman tournament and I, and, um, my weight class throughout the year was 123. So I dropped three more pounds, went down to 120 was the weight class for the Greco-Roman tournament. And I come up against the first guy and I looked over at him. He looked like a JV guy. So I thought I can beat this guy. So I went out wrestling and I pinned him. And I came off the mat and my coach slapped me on the back and says, great job. He says, do you know that guy got second in state this year? <laughs> wow and and i uh i go wow you know he did so my confidence bumped up a little bit more you know and because that was really the only thing it was uh my problem was just my confidence level and so then right. uh so then uh, i wrestled my second match and i come off the mat and uh, same thing happened my coach slapped me on the back and said uh that guy was second in state too, but he said at a different weight class. So now I've beaten two guys at a place. <laughs> You're cleaning up the mat and you go. So I wrestled my third bar. match, wow. my third match, and the same thing happened. And uh, my coach slapped me on the back. And, and I, to this day, I, I never did find out. He never did tell me whether he was lying to me or not. 
that, um, you know, uh, he said that guy got second and we did a different uh, division, you know? Yeah. yeah. So make a long story short, the only guy that I lost to in that Greco Rome tournament was a state champion. And okay. uh, well, I ended up third in the, in the state Greco Roman tournament and never won a varsity match. <laughs> <laughs> so now, when it, did you decide? When did you decide, like, to mentally make the switch that you were going to be a Division One level wrestler? Was it in high school or was it after high school? Well, uh, we really didn't know much about Division One, Division Two, or anything like that. You know, it's just uh, in, in high school, I. I wrestled. I won the state. I got third in state as a sophomore, and then I won the state title the last couple of years. And had a lot of people recruiting me. And uh, all my older brothers had gone to Oregon State University. And uh, the first one that went there uh, quit and went down to Chico State. The second one went there, uh, quit after uh, a term. He got injured and quit. And the third one w went there. He wrestled for a couple of weeks and quit. So they, all three of them quit at Oregon State. So I thought, hmm, you know, it's a good chance if I go to Oregon State, you know, I may not like the coach either. Uh, and, uh, you know, I might quit too. So I thought, I'm not going to go there. Right. And so I had uh, people from all over the nation recruiting me. I was, I pinned everybody in, in state tournament the last two years. So there wasn't anybody in the state tournament that I didn't pin. So they were they were after me. I was a a blue chip recruit, so to speak. Did Harold Nichols recruit you? Uh, oddly, he was the only one that didn't recruit me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but um, Myron Roderick from Oklahoma State recruited me, and and mm -hmm. uh, Tommy Chesbo from Oklahoma did, and then uh, BYU uh, Fred Davis down there recruited me, and. University of Washington, Jim Smith is where I ended up going. I went down to University of Oregon and Portland State, checked those schools out too. And I probably would have gone to University of Oregon, except the coach and I didn't kind of mesh very well. You know, gotcha. I, I, did, I, I didn't really care for him too much. It was Art Keith. And I found out later he was he was a three-time state champion in, in high school. I didn't know that at the time. Okay. But... Uh, you know, Washington was an up-and-coming school, and I, I like Coach Jim Smith, and uh, they offered me the same thing as anybody else. And it was uh, still close enough to home that, you know, if I needed to, I could drive home in, in four hours and I could be home. And so, uh, but, you know, I really liked Byron liked, uh, Roderick from Oklahoma State. I, I probably would have went there, went there, except that uh, when I went back there, you know, uh, we flew over the area in an airplane to uh, get yeah. into uh, Stillwater. And uh, it had just rained and, and all of the lakes were just a mud lake and it was flat and brown and it wasn't any green around. I had, no, I don't think I could, after coming from Oregon, I don't think I could handle this. <laughs> <laughs> it's but, quite, uh, the, quite the scenery change, I'm sure. Now you, yeah. get, to, you get to Washington. Now, could you wrestle the Nationals as a freshman or no? Well, uh, in the Pacific Coast that year, it was the first year um, that we would be eligible for nationals, but we couldn't wrestle uh, for varsity on the in the Pac-8 at that time. Okay. 
And then the next year, they made it eligible that a freshman could wrestle in the Pac-8 also. So it was a conference thing. So I couldn't wrestle varsity all year long, but I could go to the Nationals. How crazy is that? Because I, I thought I saw in the bracket that in 69, you had a pretty good show at Nationals. You just lost, and the guy who beat you lost, so you couldn't wrestle back. Is that that's right? correct. That's that's yeah. the way they had the tournament set up then. If the guy that beat you lost his next match, you were out of the tournament. Right. And, right. I, and I actually, I got fifth place uh, seed in the tournament. Um, and listen, that's and not Dale Thomas. Yeah. yeah, Dale Thomas was the Oregon State University coach, the one that I chose not to go to. And he was responsible for getting me fifth place seed. Wow. Uh, he argued and got me a fifth place seat. And, and uh, Jim Smith, my coach, told me this later on. Okay. Well, and and probably the reason was uh, because uh, when I was a senior in high school, uh, I tried out for the uh, 68 Olympics and the regional tournament. Uh, well, I wrestled two tournaments here on the West Coast, uh, one up in Washington. I got second place up there, lost to uh, Gene Davis from uh, Oklahoma State, I think, or Oklahoma. I'm not sure. One of one of the Oklahoma schools, anyway. And then I went to the uh, tournament in regional tournament in Portland, and I won that tournament. And during that tournament, I I I defeated uh, the uh, Pac-8 champion uh, during that tournament. Uh, As a high school. Wrestled, yeah, and wrestled a lot of uh, other college kids and and beat them as well. So it was all college kids and me. <laughs> and I, I just want to talk about that, that 68 trials, because, you know, going into that, Bobby Douglas is on a, on an absolute tear. He ends up winning the thing, but you had your first encounter with, with Dan Gable. Did you know anything about him before that tournament? No, I didn't know anything about, you know, I went back there. I was just a high school senior, you know, I was a dumb farm boy and I didn't know anything about anybody. You know, and and I thought I was pr pretty tough, and uh, so I went back to the to the uh, finals tournament, and uh, of course I'm back there by myself, and you had to pay your own way. But I managed to get a couple of the local uh, uh, sponsor clubs around here uh, to help me mm -hmm. with part of the expenses, and I got back there, and uh, the coaches that I had were just other college wrestlers from uh, that I knew from here in Oregon, and they right. kind of helped coach me or something. Yeah, I went out and wrestled Dan Gable my first match. He was, I just drew him, and he was already a national champion. <laughs> so it was uh, – and there's a big difference between uh, college wrestling and, and high school. You know, they're a lot tougher. So when you go up against a national champion against a high school kid, you know it's a big difference. Right. And, like, when you're warming up, did someone come up to you and be like, yo, you got Gable next? Or did, did no one really nope. tell you that until afterwards? No, I, I didn't know anybody, so nobody really talked to me. Got it. Okay. So, and then, did you have some wrestleback matches, or was it single elimination? Well, I wrestled uh, Dan Gable. I lost to him 9-5, to five, I, I recall. Had him briefly on his back, but couldn't keep him there. And then I wrestled my second match. It was Black Mark Elimination Tournament, so you got okay. seven points and you're out. Well... Um, anyway, my second match, uh, I wrestled a guy by the name of Tommy Huff, who was a, a two-time national champion from uh, Colorado Springs. And he beat me 6-4. Uh, and so 
you know, two matches and I was out and I went home with my tail between my legs and right. thought, I, I, I thought, man, I don't know if I could do this college wrestling or not, you know? And then I found out later that these guys were pretty good wrestlers. Yeah. And Huff beat Gable in that tournament too, I believe. Yes, he did. Mm-hmm. Right. No, it's, Huff, I mean, Huff ended up second and Gable ended up third. And Douglas just killed everybody, huh? Yep. He was unbelievable. What's amazing to me is your like your confidence going into it. You you had the expectations as a high school senior that you'd be able to compete. I don't think many people would have those expectations. Where did that self belief come from for you? Well, probably the wrestling that I did in high school, my high school coach, you know. Uh, yeah. I was raised to, to believe that a person can do anything they want if they try hard enough and work hard enough, you know, eventually you'll get there. Right. So now we come to your sophomore year. You have an incredible year, 30 and one. And I found that you and Gable actually had a common opponent in Mike Grant. You lost a tight one, seven to five. But like going into that season, were you thinking about that loss from 68, knowing that you'd eventually cut down to 142 and Russell Gable? Or maybe just kind of walk us through your mindset and what you were thinking going into your sophomore year. Well, you know, there were several things that uh, led into that. Uh, number one, I always liked to wrestle guys that uh, had beaten me, um, you know, to, to get my revenge match, so to speak, uh, and try to wrestle and redeem myself. And I did that most of the time. And I'd come back and I'd usually beat these guys the second time around. Um, but I had gone 130 uh, the my freshman year. Uh, which was probably uh, a cut that I should not have made. It was too far. I was too lean. And um, I think that was part of the reason why I ended up losing uh, in, in the uh, semifinals to uh, uh, Reed Lamphere from Minnesota. And uh, Reed beat me 14 to 12. And uh, 10 of those points were on Granby Rolls. And we didn't know what a Granby roll was here on the West Coast. We it was something <laughs> new. So I lost 10 points there and lost uh, lost the match 14-12. And so anyway, so I cut too far my freshman year. So my sophomore year, I thought, okay, I'm going to try to go to the uh, weight that, that's better for me. So I thought, well, 142 is going to be my weight class. And, uh, and I wrestled 158 most of the year. Uh, and I was a pack back eight champion at 158 and uh i wrestled uh some matches 150 also one of them was against mike grant and uh if you if you're ever in the uh, uh wrestling hall of fame in stillwater there used to be a picture of uh, me on top of uh, mike grant with a, a double bar arm on him and turning him over and, uh, <laughs> anyway uh you know i I always, uh, one of my big things was to uh, out-condition a guy and wear him out. And uh, during the last part of the match, you know, he called a timeout uh, for uh, ankle injury. And that kind of uh, threw me off my... Uh, uh, pressure? I, well, no, I, I had a plan that I was going to, you know, use, and it threw me off my course anyway, you know. My, it mm-hmm. threw me off my and got the momentum swung back in his direction a little bit and and of course you know when you when you're planning to just uh 
beat a guy down and then he stops and takes a rest break, then you think, oh man, you know, then you, you, right. you don't get your rhythm gets off, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Sure. And so, so I lost to him seven five, which is okay. It was a good match. And uh, Mike Grant's a good wrestler. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. That year Gable went up and wrestled on in only one nine to four. So it, common opponent. I thought that was interesting. Yeah. Um, you came. Yeah. So you, man, that's crazy. You wrestled the nationals at 142, but during the year you were up two weight classes at 158. Were you just on cruise control and just, just going through everybody at 158 and, and then you cut down? Uh, I, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> basically. Yeah. That's crazy. You know, I wrestled, I wrestled some, I wrestled some really good guys <clears throat> at 158. <clears throat> um, Kim Snyder, who was, uh, uh, I think third in the NCAA at 158, and I, I'd beaten him twice that year. Wow. And uh, Mike Jones from Oregon State was also, I think, placed in the NCAA. I beat him. And then um, as a junior, I wrestled 158 also. As a junior right. and senior. And uh, I ended up wrestling, when we went back to Iowa State, I wrestled against Carl Adams. Okay. And Carl Adams is already an NCAA champion, and and Carl and I were were going at it out there. The score was pretty darn close. I don't know. He may have been ahead, and I may have been ahead. I don't remember what exact score was, but I I caught him in the third round and and pinned him. So wow. You know, it was it was a really really good match. And you were Carl, a tenor. I, I was. I was. Um, I probably. I don't know where the records are, but uh, at one time I held the record for the most falls in the uh, NCAA tournament for four years. Wow. Um, but, um, and Gable only wrestled in the NCAA three years, see, because he was right. freshman were ineligible for him. So he couldn't, he couldn't do that. Right. But at any rate, uh, they've got the records in the, in the Stillwater uh, uh, National Hall of Fame. The records are incorrect. Um, so if you ever go online there, I, I, I've told them about it and, uh, they said, well, we, we don't know how to make changes in it. <laughs> so we can change uh, it people. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh, you know, that's what you they know? told me. So, okay. So well, maybe reason, we'll, uh, we'll put something in there for them. We'll, we'll put a word in for you. <laughs> yeah. But if, but if you look at the individual brackets, you know, it shows that I had, uh, I think, the first year three falls and four of the second, and then a couple the last couple of years. So I think I ended up ten or twelve falls, about fifty percent in the NCAA. Yeah. And so you would go on after you won your sophomore, you would get second twice your junior and senior year. So really, yeah. an unbelievable career. Three-time finalist, one-time champ. Um, and then, you know, wrestle in the 72 trials, which, you know, we don't have to talk about really that as much. But, you know, if we go back to your sophomore year, no, at this point, is the folklore or, like, the legacy of this guy from Iowa State starting to get out? Like, did you specifically go down to 142 to wrestle him? Like, if you hadn't lost him in 68, would you have gone down to 142? Uh, well, like I said, 142 was my best weight class. But right. then uh, Dan Gable was there also, and I knew if I was going to get a chance to wrestle him, I had to go there. 
and and that's what happened my freshman year. He was at 137, which I wanted to go to. And so I went down to 130 to avoid him. And so this year, you know, he's at 42, and that's where I should be going. So I said, okay, we're going to go head to head. And, Let's go, uh, baby. Let's go. <laughs> it, it was time. And so I was in the right place at the right time. And I'm not sure uh, if anybody could have beaten me that night. I mean, I was I was on a real high as far as adrenaline was concerned, you know, and I was I was ready to go. I mean, the, at, the energy in that place at Northwestern had to be unbelievable. Would you say it was the like, most attended wrestling tournament you've ever been to at that point in your life? Um, I don't know if it was the most attended or not, but I do remember the crowd. It was it was unbelievable. Uh, so one of the uh, newspaper uh, reporters reported it as uh, the roar of Niagara Falls. <laughs> and, and the only wow. thing I can compare it to is like, Maybe you've seen some of the movies of the old Roman gladiators where the crowd was cheering and the two guys are down fighting. Well, that's kind of what it reminded me of. We were down in the in the limelight fighting and and everybody was roaring. And I mean, uh, I mean to tell you, it was so loud uh, we couldn't hear the referee. He had to yell at us, you know, three feet away for us to hear what he was saying. And uh, it was unbelievable. It was just deafening. Wow. Now, what? when did you get to Chicago that week? Did you get there on a Wednesday or Thursday for the Nationals that week? Well, I think the thir- uh, Nationals were Thursday, Friday, Saturday, so we probably got there Wednesday. Okay. And is it tr- is this is this folklore or is this true that you told a reporter point blank that you're going to be Dan Gable? Well, you know, uh, that that's true. But, but you know, now, and now imagine this. You're, you're sitting there. And and the question posed to you is, uh, you know, Dan Gable is in your weight class. Why would you cut two weight classes to come down and and beat Dan Gable? And so you so your answer is, oh gee, I I think I'll lose, or, you know, what what are you gonna say? Why would you cut two weight classes? Well, I'm coming down here so I can beat him. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, what, and, a real warrior. So, what else would you say? You know. Yeah. What else could you say? That that's the yeah. thing. And so, you know, that, and they took that as, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, how they twist what you say kind of like, yeah. but they took yeah. it as, as bravado or overconfidence or something like that, you know, and saying, saying that, you know, I was about ready to bite off more than I could chew. <laughs> but, the, but it reminds the, uh, me of like a Muhammad Ali type thing a little bit. Yeah. Maybe you didn't even mean it like that. And And, and it wasn't like that at all. Uh, yeah, in newspaper articles, I saw one newspaper article that said uh, I was either the dumbest or the bravest guy in the world. <laughs> and, and so, you know, but I had come to wrestle and, and uh, it was my best weight class and Gable is there. So all of those things kind of rolled together into one. Uh, well, and uh, as we've said, going into that, so the tournament starts Thursday. Of course, there are other matches going on, other great wrestlers, but everyone knows that this guy's trying to go undefeated through high school and college and cap off 182-0. and And so Thursday yeah. starts, Friday keeps going, and you both, I believe you both pin your way through the tournament. I could be mistaken yeah. on that, but... Oh, that's correct. That, that sound right? Okay. So you you both pin and, your and, way through. And I pin my guys 30 seconds faster on average. Yes, 
so competitive. I love that. <laughs> oh man. So you, uh, which is pretty unbelievable because when you think about Nikhil Sanderson wrestling Cormier, Cormier is a great wrestler and is now a UFC champ, but he wasn't dominating like that. Or you think about Pat Smith wrestling Sean Bormay in the finals. You know, I don't think it was like that where Bormay was just destroying people like you were. So you and Gabe were on this crash course. The finals comes around Saturday night. Um, like, take us through the match. Like, what were you thinking 10 minutes before the match? Well, uh, I was thinking through my strategy. Uh, I was going to, uh, I had certain moves that I was going to do on Van Gabel or try, you know, or if they opened up. And also, uh, uh, like I said before, my one of my main uh, strategies is to uh, wear the guy out and out condition the guy. And so right. uh, I uh, had kind of self-hypnotized myself so that uh, I was going to start the match at 100% and end at 110, so to speak. Uh, I wasn't going to slow down the entire match. It wouldn't be one point during the match that I wasn't going 100%. And uh, I don't think Dan Gable had ever had anybody ever do that to him before. And so one of the comments I remember Dan Gable saying was that he he felt in the third round oddly more tired than he'd ever felt before. And uh, yeah. I, I think yeah. that was because I I had pushed him further than anybody else had ever pushed him. Well, and going into the match, it kind of reminds me of like the Mike Tyson effect where most people were beat going into the ring with Tyson. You got to imagine that, that at that time in his career, most people were beat going into the match against this guy mentally. But you, there was no doubt in your mind that you were ready. Yeah. Well, you can't, in wrestling, you can't wrestle a match going and go into it and thinking you're going to lose. No. No. Not, I mean, anyone who's a, who's a high level competitor would agree with that. And so you, you, the match starts. You know, I've watched it online um, you know, several times. What's unbelievable to me is that you went, you were going for kind of like high risk moves right away, like an arm throw. You're, you're doing a, a fireman's and you're, you were throwing your heat at him. What do you remember about the match and, and the pressure he brought? Was it the most you felt at that point in your career or was it about the same? Well, uh, my part of my strategy was to was keep him off balance and not let him get into his rhythm. And so <clears throat> by, by me initiating the moves, you know, he, he wasn't able to initiate his. Right. <coughs> Excuse me. No problem. So that's kind of what but, I thought. Anyway. I mean, you had and, wrestled great guys, right? But I mean, like, what was any point in the match where you're like, all right, this guy's bringing some heat or is about what you expected? Anything unusual about the match in terms of what he was bringing to you or the, the pressure he, he brought? He never really brought any heat to me. If, wow. if you want. Watch the matches, you know, one takedown that he got that looked like he really got an easy takedown. Well, I was, I was, I, he shot in just at the same time as I went for a leg trip and I just said, here's my leg, take it. <laughs> you know, right. Thing. Right. But I didn't stop, you know, I was immediately, uh, working from the bottom again and come back up, you know. And, and I think that was the, the thing that, uh, uh, I wasn't a defensive wrestler, and and if anybody knew that about me, uh, 
that was probably my one big weakness is that the fact that I was an offensive wrestler and, and not very defensive. And, and I, because of that, I had a tendency to make some mistakes. So uh, a person that was a good defensive wrestler, <clears throat> a good example of that would be uh, Tom Milkovich when I wrestled him my senior year. He's a very defensive wrestler. And, uh, you know, those type of wrestlers, they get ahead a couple points and then they just hang back, hang back and, and wait for you to make another mistake and then get a couple more points. And so that's the way he beat me. And, and that was kind of his wrestling style was, was really, uh, the type of style that would, could beat me. So you weren't sitting on a lead, nothing like that. If you had a lead, you were still going hundred percent. Yes. Exactly. I I never did uh, sit on the lead, you know. No, which is which is so kind of ironic about this whole tale is that that's the way Gable wrestled and how he taught his guys to wrestle. But you were doing that on the West Coast, which you know it's it's never you know you don't think of it as a wrestling hotbed, but you guys were going at it like that for a long time years before that. Which is that's what's so cool about this story to me is you both wrestled very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Now, just a matter a, of who as, who, uh, who put who on uh, in trouble. <laughs> anyway. Exactly. Well, and that's what, I, what I'm getting to here. So, as the match is winding down, there's you can see him crawling off the mat, which is something I've never seen. You know, most people have never seen before. And so he's starting to feel the pain, and you know, you're in your groove. Um, I think he has some riding time, but essentially, with 30 seconds left. You were up nine to eight, but he had two points of riding time. So it was really 10-9 Gable. And then yeah. you go in, throw him to his back, and you take down in two with 30 seconds left. You go up uh, 13 to nine, I believe. Does that sound right? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. So you were just going for it. Ended up winning 13-11. What was it like right. after, like the next day or, or two days after the ma- match? What was it like? Well. Right? It it took a while to, for me to sink in, you know. Um, I thought that, you know, I I just won a national tournament. I didn't realize the enormity of, of what I had done. And I had no idea at the time that uh, it would be in the folklore of wrestling like it is. Um, and and when uh, I was, I'm, I'm just a quiet country boy. <laughs> right. And I. And I really didn't like the limelight at all. Um, and so after that, you know, it was like, I was kind of like an instant celebrity. And it's it's like these professional uh, uh, players that, you know, they get this instant celebrity type status and it kind of goes through their head and, and then they start doing things that they shouldn't be doing. I didn't do any of the, any of the bad stuff, but, but you know, I, I tried to actually kind of hide from it because I, li- I didn't like the publicity. You know, I just wanted to get out there and wrestle and be good and and uh, not ever have right. everybody hounding me. But <clears throat> now all of a sudden, you know, I was the top dog and everybody was shooting for me. At least that's the way right. I felt. And uh, I've, I didn't I I've didn't care an, for that too much. Well, I was going to say, I've read in interviews where you even said at one point, this maybe have been in like the late 70s, be like, I wish I wouldn't even happen, which is crazy um, that the pressure was that much. And. I mean, to your point, you are just a very humble guy, so I could see why it would it would be kind of troublesome, especially because you know college wrestling wasn't that popular 
like you think of sports now being, right? So this must have been a huge change. Yeah. I, uh, I, I tried to, to hide from this for years. In fact, uh, when I went to the uh, Olympic trials in 1972, I, I wrestled Dan Gable again there in the Olympic trials, the year he won the Olympics. Yeah. And, and I went there, and, and I was tired of having the Gable monkey on my back. And so I was going to go 136 and a half uh, at the weight class. And, um, the night before I was a couple pounds over and, and at the time my wife was pregnant, my ex-wife, I should say, and she was going to have the baby at the time that I was going to be in the Olympics. And she didn't want me to go. She wanted me to stay home, you know, when she had the baby. And, and so I said, you know, yes, I'll stay home. You know, family comes first in my, in my book anyway. And so I knew I wasn't going to go to the Olympics. So I thought. You know, um, I'll just go up a weight class, wrestle Dan Gable, I'll lose, and then everybody will leave me alone. And uh, there was also uh, this Reed Lamphere that had beaten me as a freshman, was also at 49 and a half. And so I got a chance to wrestle him again and redeem myself, by the way. (laughs) And so I I beat Reed. Did you wrestle him? Oh, yeah, I beat him. I think it was about nine four or something like that. Well, in fact, who would you have had to wrestle at thirty uh, at thirty six or thirty and a half? Well, uh, I was going to wrestle at thirty six and a half, <clears throat> but I went up to one hundred and forty nine and a half. So I wrestled. Uh, but who was the top dog at thirty six and a half? Who made the team? Uh, Gene Davis. Got it. Okay. And I wrestled uh, Gene Davis uh, two or three times that year and had beat him. Uh, once eighteen to three, and once twelve to six. So, oh my God! So you had worked the Olympic team member, and you but in the, the night before, ended up going up in weight. Oh my God! And anyway, okay. uh, Gene was a silver medalist in the Olympics that year. So I wrestled Reed Lamphere, and let's see, I beat him. Uh, let's see, a score of eight to three. Okay. I've got, I've actually got the bracket right here in front of me. <laughs> so I re- I redeemed myself, and then also there was a guy by the name of Lloyd Kizer. You may have heard of him. He was a world champion in '73, uh, I believe. Okay. Anyway, uh, okay. Uh, yeah, he wrestled for U.S. Naval Academy, and uh, at any rate, uh, Lloyd Kizer was in my weight class uh, at 142 in the NCAA and he had lost and he ended up third in the tournament. But, uh, he came up to me, uh, after the tournament was over <clears throat> and pointed his finger at me. He says, you know, Oinks, he said, if I'd have been in your weight class, I'd have kicked your ass. And that was oh. the, the year that I got second. And so Lloyd Kieser, uh, was, uh, at 149 and a half too. So I, I needed to, uh, Put an end to that. <coughs> right. So I wrestled, Lloyd, I wrestled Lloyd Kieser, and let's see. I beat him 18 to 6. Wow. And he was and the I, world champion 73. Uh, yes. And I, I just pounded on him. I thought, you're not going to tell me you're going to kick my butt. You know, you know that? You, do, you don't uh, intimidate your opponent. I, I, I mean, I just love somebody to tell me they're going to kick my ass. Pardon my you language. said it's fire. No, you, you can swear on here. 
Um, so, and that's why I wasn't sure about if, if we were going to talk about 72, I was going to let you bring it up because I've read that, you know, it was a, a really a tough time for you in your personal life. And, you know, you, you kind of admitted that, you know, you, you weren't going to the Olympics either way. And so, so you do have this encounter with Gable again. I, I know he wins, um, kind of a, kind of a, a flat match by his account. Like, you know, he, he was tight. Uh, like, what was your account of that match? Do you remember that one much? Which one? The 72 matches Gable. Uh, well, I went like up. Both of rest- you kind of seem like, he, he even yeah. said, like, I was just ready for it to be done. And, like, kind of the same thing yeah. for you, it seems like. You and Like I told you before, you can't go in the match thinking, you know, you're not going to win. And, and that's kind of what I did. I, I went into the match. I mean, I didn't, I don't want to say I threw the match because that isn't the case. But I just went in there and said, you know, I'll just wrestle good and, you know, he'll beat me and, and people will leave me alone, so to speak. But, right. Uh, you know, nobody remembers that. No. And that's, it was kind of a, uh, anticlimactic match from all accounts. Uh, yeah, could be. In a, in a sense, yeah. Um, so, and then, like, as you as you kind of winded down your career, was that your last tournament? Did you do any coaching after that, or what was, like, after wrestling like for you? Well, I wrestled for a few more years after that, you know, off and on. I was going to go to the uh, 76 Olympics, and then uh, I'd lost my job that year and didn't have money to back then you had to pay your own way to get to the tournament. And I had no, no money to get back to the tournament or anything else. So that, that didn't pan out. And then in 1980, I came back again, won the regional tournament out here and I was going to go back and then they boycotted the Olympics. Yep. And so, uh, after that, I was pretty well out of that. So it was nothing like you see now with like the, like the regional training centers and all the money that's behind wrestling. It was nothing like that. Right. Wow. Crazy. Whew, man, I, uh, I'm getting emotional here just thinking about all, the, all these ups and downs. Um, I mean, as we wind down, Mr. Owens, I know we've gone over, you know, getting ready to wrap up here. Like, as you think about wrestling, like, how, is it, how has it changed your life for the good and, and you know, and for the worse? But like, how, what's well, the impact for you been, just in general, not even the Gable stuff, just in general? Well, let me kind of finish this up just a little bit. You know, for years I tried yeah. to hide from this. And after I retired from teaching um, in 2003, 2004, you know, about, uh, uh, I guess it's about oh, probably four or five years ago now, I was lying in bed one time, you know, uh, I was asleep. And I woke up and it was like I had a vision. And... Uh, I got this vision of a mouth in my mind and it said, stand in sunlight if you expect to be heard. It didn't say sunshine, it said sunlight. And it was so strong that I actually wrote it down on my notepad that I keep by my bedside. And and for years, you know, I had had kind of hid from from people, stuff like that. And And I realized at that time that God had given me this talent in wrestling and that I needed to do something with that and, and uh, help other people uh, be better and, and become better individuals, not just in the sport of wrestling, but in all ways. And so I said, okay, I said, this wrestling is, is never going to go away. So 
it's not going to change. So I need to change my attitude. So that's kind of what I did. I changed my attitude. I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to embrace it. And any time that I u- can use uh, what God has given me to help other people, that's what I'm going to do. And so uh, since then, you know, I, I've tried to be uh, as amicable as, as possible whenever anybody is, has asked me to uh, give interviews or things like that, you know. Um, and I, and I look for ways now to try and help some of these younger kids. So it's, it's payback time for me now, but, um, I'm standing in sunlight so people can see me as an example and I'm trying to be the best example that I can possibly be for people. It's not sunshine. You know, if you stand in sunshine, what happens? You get warm. But right. if, you stand in, if you stand in sunlight, people see you and they, they, uh, can, can follow your example. So. That's my That's goal. a powerful uh, story. And hopefully I, you know, more and more folks will hear the story through this podcast. And certainly appreciative that you took some time to do this. But just to go back to that, because that was, that was really moving. So you're laying in bed and you have a vision. Like, do you think it's a dream or were you still awake when you had this vision? And, and it, well, I was, was kind of half asleep, you know, and I'm yeah. visions before, too. <laughs> it isn't the first time, but it really? seems like that's when it, it happens to me. Yeah, um, I had another vision one time, and I, I know God is uh, in my life here. But uh, I was uh, laying in bed, and it was a stormy winter night, and I actually uh, uh, was laying there, kind of half awake, and I looked up, and I I saw a hand coming down. I actually saw him and I, and I wasn't hallucinating or anything else, I don't think. So I yeah. reached up and I grabbed it. And then it just kind of faded away in the mist. And I go, wow, that was weird, you know? Right. And uh, so there I'm, I'm laying there. I go, wow, what just happened, you know? And I'm laying there and going, and I'm wide awake now. Yeah. And, and so, and the hand comes back. And so this time I didn't grab it. And it, and it comes over and it and laid his hand right on my my stomach, and I could feel it. And then it just disappeared. I woke up the next morning and uh, looked out the back of my house, and the whole hillside had slid away. Wow. The whole hillside within three feet of my house. Man. So what do you you take Uh, that I believe it was a... I believe it was an angel that come to warn me of danger. Wow. That's crazy. I mean, that uh, your house could have easily slid away in that. Well, you know, yeah. I mean, it was almost straight up and down right up to the edge of my house. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. Did you ever have any visions or visualizations when you were competing? Uh, No, no, I, I never, not while I was competing. But, uh, you know, God has made a big difference. <laughs> He's, he knows what he wants me to do. And so it just took him a while to convince me that I've got to uh, help help these people out here. Well, I, I've, I've kind of uh, incorporated that into my, uh, uh, what do I want to call it? Uh, my... Uh, my three point plan for, for life, you know, I've got kind of three, 
three goals of life. One is never, I tell the kids this, never quit. You know, right. uh, defeat is just a, a temporary situation. The only time it becomes permanent is when you quit and then you've lost. So right. never quit. The other one is believe in yourself. And I've been through that, you know, I, I told you all about believing in yourself. That made a big difference. As soon as I started believing in myself, I started winning. And then the third thing is, is to always look for ways to help other people. Um, there was a, uh, how much time do we got left here? Any? Yeah, we got about eight minutes. Okay. There was a, a corn farmer, not too far from me here up in Brooks, Oregon, that every year would win the uh, tournament. He'd take his corn to the uh, state fair and he'd win first prize every year. After about seven or eight years, they finally asked him, what is it you do to make your corn the best? He says, well, he says, the first thing I do, he says, I go out and I buy all the corn, very best corn seed that I can find. And he said, then I come out and he says, I give all the corn seed to my neighbors around me. And he said, I save just a little bit for myself. And he says, I plant that and, and all the fields around me have all this good pollen coming in. It says it comes in and pollinates my corn. And he says, my corn ends up being the very, very best. And I thought about that. And I thought, you know, I think that it can apply to wrestling too. Uh, you know, you're wrestling an opponent and you're taking him down with a, a certain takedown, a single leg takedown or a fireman's carry or whatever the takedown is. Yeah. So you tell your opponent, look, here's just what I'm doing. This is how I'm setting you up. And this is how I'm taking you down. By doing that, you're making your opponent better. Okay. And as your opponent gets better, you no longer can use that move out of, against him. So now what do you got to do? You've got to figure out another move. So that's going to make you better. So by making your practice opponents better, you're going to make yourself better. So I'm always looking for ways to help other people, you know, um, going, going to somebody's house and help cut fireworks. I do all kinds of service projects for people. I've got, I've got them lined up all summer here. <laughs> it's unbelievable. You're a man of service now. You're giving back. And there's, there's someone I, I think you would like to talk to you out there. His name's Richard Jensen. Do you know him? You know I know. I've heard Richard Jensen. Yes. He, uh, so he came on the podcast and he told his story, which is unbelievable. And now he talks to you about 50,000 kids a year through his, yeah. uh, he has a tour bus, goes all over the country. You know, he had yeah. a, a story where I, he was I, involved. I think with, I've heard him speak. Yeah. He wrestled too. Yeah. He? He, yeah. So his story was he wrestled in high school, average wrestler from 19 to like 35. He went down the wrong path drugs, jail, the whole yep, thing. Yep, 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 His I mom dies when he's in jail. Yeah. And then but then he gets out of out of jail when he's like thirty five, goes back to wrestle at junior college, ends up qualifying for the JUCO nationals at like forty years old. Um yep. so but he uh he has a I think you guys would, would be good for each other. He's a kind of this service mindset as well. I know he's at Fargo this week with some kids, but Yeah, I've uh, talked to him before several times. Okay. Good, so, good. That's yeah, good. I know he is. Well, Mr. So, Owen, anyway, so, been, so that's my that's my goal now is to uh, give back to the community. Wrestling's been real good to me, and uh, so I'm it's it's payback time. I love that, and I'm I'm motivated and moved by our conversation, and I hope to you'll be friends with you for for years to come because it's it's been really fun talking to you. And all great things must come to an end. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. Give us a review, give us a rating, and share this with your friends. It would mean the world to us. Thanks for listening to Wrestling Changed My Life.